welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to Series 5 and Episode 3, in which we see a discussion between Jesus and the disciples of John the Baptist. We're going to follow the account that comes in uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 to 19. There's a parallel account in Luke 7, and we're going to refer to a number of other texts that relate to this particular topic. Well, we're in series five. The story is moving on, and it's moving on fast. In series uh, two and three, we saw the gradual momentum of Jesus' ministry in Galilee increasing, uh, and we saw the first tour of Galilee uh, in uh, series three, uh, at the end of which he appointed his 12 apostles, and then we uh, studied the Sermon on the Mount in series four, and now in series five, we're in the second tour of Galilee. Lots of exciting events take place at this time. We've already looked at a couple of remarkable miracles that are both recorded in Luke chapter 7, which were the first two episodes of series 5, the healing of the centurion's servant and the raising from the dead of the son of the widow of Nain. Well, that was the last uh, episode that we saw. That was one of the great miracles of Jesus and performed very surprisingly and very suddenly as Jesus entered the town of Nain. But the scene shifts somewhat for this episode because we're now going back to the fascinating story of John the Baptist, which is interwoven with the life of Jesus in the Gospels and particularly in the first half of the ministry of Jesus. And there's a very interesting discussion between Jesus and some of John the Baptist's uh, disciples that we're going to look at closely in a minute. Um, but before we do that, I thought it would be useful to just recount the story of John the Baptist all over again, because he comes and he goes from the narrative and it's easy to forget some of the things that have happened beforehand. But a story always makes the best sense if you see it in its biggest context. If you were with us in series one, you'll remember that uh, the miraculous birth of Jesus was paralleled by an also miraculous birth of John the Baptist. Jesus was born by virgin birth, but John was born to an elderly couple who had never had children, never been able to have children by the name of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth was related to Mary, Jesus's mother, and so John the Baptist was indeed um, a relative of Jesus. And right back at the beginning, um, there is a prophecy concerning John, which uh, is given by his father, Zechariah, at the time of his birth. Just want to uh, read a couple of verses that summarize the calling of John. Luke 1, verses 76 and 77. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. So even as John was born, he was appointed by God miraculously as a prophet who was going to prepare the way for the coming Messiah, who turned out to be uh, his relative Jesus of Nazareth. 
And then, of course, the public ministry of John took place some 30 years later when he appeared by the River Jordan and started preaching. Quite suddenly, he'd been in seclusion in the Judean wilderness nearby, in a desert area, away from uh, normal human civilization for some time. And then he suddenly appeared and started preaching a very provocative message about people needing to change their lives and prepare for God to visit the nation with um, a fresh message and a fresh initiative, uh, which turned out to be the coming of the kingdom of God through Jesus the Messiah. He was a, a real sensation in Israel. And then one day Jesus turned up at the river Jordan where John was baptizing and very remarkably John baptized Jesus as well and he heard the voice of the father affirming Jesus as the son of God and he saw the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus bodily in the form of a dove and not long afterwards as recorded in John 1 verse 29 when John saw Jesus coming towards him he said look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he prophetically pointed to uh, the ministry of Jesus. But John's own ministry was cut short. His public ministry didn't last that long because um, Herod Antipas, or Herod the Tetrarch, who ruled Galilee uh, and some other areas to the east of the River Jordan, but particularly Galilee, he took a disliking to John uh, because John challenged him. And this is recounted in Luke 3, verses 19 to 20. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. You see, John had noticed that Herod had divorced his wife and seduced the wife of his brother and persuaded her to divorce her husband and to marry him, which was against the Jewish law. And John challenged him over this, which led to his imprisonment. So during the course of most of Jesus's ministry, John is imprisoned. He's imprisoned by Herod. Therefore, he's unable to engage fully with what Jesus is doing. Having made the, paved the way for Jesus and helped him to become well known, he suddenly finds himself uh, secluded in prison. And this is the point at which we take up the story, because he still had his own followers or disciples. They still came to him and told him things while he was in prison about what Jesus was doing and what was happening in the country. And uh, the story uh, moves on from there in the text of Matthew 11. So let's have a look at the text. We'll just read it in sections to help us uh, uh, go through it and understand it. Matthew 11, verses 2 and 3. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah... He sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, on the face of this, this seems odd, because he had earlier on proclaimed that Jesus was 
the one that should be expected, as I've just described to you, and I've even quoted from something he said concerning Jesus being the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. So John is asking a difficult question here, and the thing that we need to work out is why is he asking this difficult question? Maybe he is experiencing some doubt because of imprisonment, which can do funny things with your mental state. Possibly Herod Antipas uh, fed bad information to John about Jesus' ministry through his soldiers and the prison guards. And possibly John was confused by the fact that Jesus had not immediately brought uh, the judgment on Israel that was implied in his statement concerning Jesus' ministry in Matthew 3 and verse 11 and 12. John famously says these words, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now this burning up of the chaff is a reference to judgment on Israel. John knew that Jesus was bringing the, the power of the Holy Spirit, but he didn't hear anything about the judgment on Israel. It hadn't yet happened. Maybe he wondered why Jesus hadn't yet got to judge Israel for the failure of many people to respond to his message. Well, if that's the case, then John just got his timing wrong because this was to happen. There was to be a great judgment on Israel, but it would be several decades after Jesus died. John, uh, Jesus answered John, Matthew 11, verses 4 to 6. Jesus replied, Go back. And report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Well, Jesus, first of all, uh, articulates and describes the signs of the kingdom, which are absolutely remarkable, and they're all true, and they're all happening. And in our last episode, we saw an example of someone being raised from the dead, the widow of Nain's son. So Jesus is basically saying to John, through the message he's sending to him, all the signs of the kingdom are taking place. And he's encouraging John not to stumble on account of him, not to doubt, not to be hesitant, just because he doesn't understand the timing of events and why uh, the judgment that Jesus promised to bring has not yet happened and why the kingdom is just coming in steps rather than in one dramatic moment. Then Jesus goes on in verse 7 to 11 to talk uh, to the uh, crowds around about really who John was. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in, into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? 
If not, what should you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it's written. I'll send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Who did they expect to see when they went out into the wilderness? The wilderness, of course, was the place where John operated, the Judean wilderness, as I mentioned earlier on. Did they go to see someone weak, like a reed swaying in the wind? No. Did they expect to see someone strong and rich and well-dressed? No. But they saw a prophet, someone who brings directly the message of God. Yes, John was a prophet. And in verse 10, Jesus says, This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Well, this is a quotation from uh, the book of Malachi. And at the end of the book of Malachi, which in our Bibles is the last book of the Old Testament and the last prophet recorded in the Old Testament, in this book, in chapter 3, verse 1, Malachi predicts, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before you. Then suddenly the Lord who you are seeking will come into his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And that passage, uh, that verse, Malachi 3, verse 1, Jesus identifies as prophesying John the Baptist's coming, who will prepare the way for the coming of the Lord or the coming of the Messiah, who's here described as the messenger of the covenant. So in that sense, John is the greatest of all people to have been born amongst women because he was the prophet given the responsibility of ushering in the age of the Messiah. And he is a figure a bit like Elijah. And then in Malachi 4, verse 5, we have another prophecy about an Elijah-type figure. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Now, as we look at these prophecies from the point of view of the New Testament, we have the messenger in Malachi 3 verse 1, who's an Elijah-type figure. And then we have another Elijah-type figure who's coming before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And our best understanding of how these link together is that Malachi 3 verse 1, which is associated with John the Baptist, refers specifically to the first coming of Jesus. But Malachi 4 verse 5 is referring to a prophet anticipating the second coming of Jesus. And John is identified as the Elijah-type figure who's ushering in the coming of the Messiah for his first coming. And so John was the last prophet 
of the Old Testament era. And yet, paradoxically, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is a matter of chronology. Because John died, and he was shortly going to be executed, before the full coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in the kingdom of heaven, which was uh, allowed the full power of the Holy Spirit to operate in every single believer. And uh, that meant that they had a greater understanding of the kingdom, greater empowerment of the kingdom than even John had because he uh, died before the kingdom had fully come in through the death of Jesus, the resurrection, the ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit. So there's a paradox here. John is the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, but because he dies just before the great outpouring of the Spirit after Jesus' death, those who are least in the kingdom are greater than John because they have more experience of the kingdom coming than John would ever have. This was a matter of timing and chronology. It wasn't a matter of godliness and spirituality. Jesus then goes on in verses 12 to 15 to say something very striking about what was happening at that exact time in the advance of the kingdom of God. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is the light, the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, this text has been interpreted in a variety of ways and sometimes associated with modern theories of spiritual warfare. But if you look at it closely, it has a very different meaning. Jesus gives a precise timing from the days of John the Baptist until now. In other words, from when John the Baptist came to the Jordan until this point in Jesus' ministry, the kingdom of heaven, which is the kingdom that Jesus is bringing in, is experiencing violence or um, opposition. Violent people are raiding it. So as Jesus is advancing the kingdom, people are challenging it and trying to undermine the kingdom from the time of John the Baptist until this point. This is a reference to opponents of Jesus, like the Pharisees, undermining him, trying to draw people away from him and opposing the advance of the kingdom and undermining everything that is happening. So a time of spiritual conflict started when John the Baptist came. And the fact that John the Baptist is in prison is part of that process because Herod Antipas, Herod the Tetrarch, is against John the Baptist and implicitly against Jesus, though he hasn't directly met Jesus yet. Um, he was suspicious of him because Jesus might become so popular that he threatened his kingdom in Galilee. So opposition is rising. But, verse 14, 
If you're willing to accept it, John is Elijah who was to come. In other words, the Elijah figure, the follow-on figure like Elijah referred to in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1 that we just looked at. Now, this complex passage comes to an end with Jesus speaking very plainly about the people living at that time in Israel who were engaging with and experiencing the coming of the kingdom of God. Verses 16 to 19. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of sinners and tax collectors. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. The people of the time, in general, found reasons not to believe in John and not to believe in Jesus. They accused them of opposite extremes, but they didn't believe in them. Essentially what Jesus is saying here is that the Jewish people in general, despite the crowds following him around, the Jewish people in general failed to see the significance of the events that were taking place before their eyes. This wasn't just a prophet or a healer or a teacher. This was actually the Messiah coming with a new covenant, with a new opportunity for a new relationship with God, with forgiveness of sins, um, who was going to uh, launch the next stage of God's plan for the salvation of mankind. But many of the Jewish people at the time didn't really understand that. Many were attracted by the spectacular miracles, yes, but they were confused about his identity, not sure about his identity. And the Pharisees and the religious establishment began working against Jesus. And as we follow the story through in the next uh, series, as, as the story progresses, we'll see more and more opposition from the religious establishment, which confuses the crowds. So they find it very hard to know what to believe about Jesus. Now, this passage is quite complex, and you may have found it difficult to follow some of the details. But let me just make a couple of summary statements. So, John, troubled while he's in prison, cut off from what was going on in Jesus' ministry, sends his messengers, and Jesus gives uh, an encouraging answer to John. The kingdom is coming. Things aren't happening quite as fast as you might have imagined, but it, it's going forward. So don't stumble. Hold on to your confidence that everything you prophesied is actually happening, even though you can't see it. And then Jesus goes on to explain a bit more about who John the Baptist is to the crowds. And he links him very specifically with the prophecies of Malachi chapters 3 and 4, particularly Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And he said, John wasn't just a self-appointed prophet or someone who appeared from nowhere. 
his ministry was actually predicted hundreds of years before by Malachi, who said he'll come to prepare the way for the Lord, to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. And that's what John successfully did. Then Jesus goes on and explains that John's ministry and Jesus' ministry has provoked an intense spiritual conflict and they're actually people trying to sabotage and undermine the advancing kingdom. The kingdom is suffering violence and violent men are raiding it. They're trying to undermine Jesus. Now we've seen the beginning of this already in some of the gospel stories, but we'll see this very clearly developing in the narrative as the story moves on. So in conclusion, one or two reflections. Let's go back to Matthew 11, verse 6. This is a very moving statement by Jesus. Blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. This is a message to John the Baptist, but I think it's also a message to us. You see, Jesus was showing immense grace to the needy. But he was also showing patience with the stubborn and the resistant. We can stumble, as it were. We can be upset by God's immense grace to people who sometimes we don't think deserve it. We can also stumble because God sometimes appears to let evil go unpunished for a long time. Jesus hadn't yet brought that fire of cleansing into the nation of Israel that was promised and predicted by John uh, at the baptism of Jesus. So blessed is the one who doesn't stumble on account of me. We don't understand why God does things in the way he does. And sometimes it can be upsetting when we think, why didn't God do something different in this situation? Why did he act in this way? Why did he have favor on those people who don't deserve it? Why did he have patience on those people who really deserved his judgment? We don't know exactly why God deals with people in the way he does. But we do know that blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. The other thing I want to say is that the prophecies of Malachi that I've mentioned in Malachi 3 and 4 again point out this very interesting fact that the Messiah Jesus comes to this earth twice. There's the first coming and the second coming. Now this theme appears frequently in our gospel discussions. In Malachi 3 verse 1, the prophecy fulfilled by John the Baptist uh, there's a reference to the first coming. I'll send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And that's what John did for Jesus. But then another prophet like Elijah will come, like John the Baptist, uh, Malachi 4 verse 5, who will come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. That's the return of Christ, the second coming, the time of reckoning, the time of judgment. These two realities are always there in the Gospels and they appear in the narrative from time to time. So you and I live between these two realities. The first coming has taken place. Jesus has been on earth. He's been to die for our sins. He's been 
to uh, minister and uh, reveal himself in Israel. He's been raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, he's poured out his Holy Spirit. It's, that's happened. But his return to redeem the earth, take his people to himself and bring judgment on his opponents, that has not happened yet. We live in the middle of these two great events and we need to learn to live in the creative tension of those two events. So I hope you've uh, gained some useful help from this study of what is a complex but important passage about John the Baptist and his role in bringing in the kingdom of God. I look forward to welcome, welcoming you to the next episode. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.